when you're getting to, into the serious programming, there is an age group. And for me, the age group is 14 plus. From piloting with kids that are a bit younger, it gets challenging if you want to do serious, make serious embedded systems. Because with programming, it, it, it requires math as well as iterating and practicing and troubleshooting. <laughs> Hello, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you're watching or listening this podcast from, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to a brand new edition of Social Convos. And today we're going to really have some fun, right, Diego? Yeah, we have another interesting guest today with us. I've known her from, I think, maybe five, six years now, but for a few years, I know Julie since she was interested in programming, started with websites, and I've seen her journey from the basic web development stuff to kind of trying, participating in hackathons, participating. To basically winning them all. <laughs> yeah, winning them all, proving that, you know, it's not just boys or men's space, the IT space, being a role model for for your young women and kind of breaking barriers in the IT and tech industry, uh, especially here locally in the region and in Suriname. So we have with us tonight, Julie Sunder and Julie, welcome to Social Convos. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Ju Julie is a very busy and active individual in the space, and she kind of has her own curriculum now, her own class, where she teaches young girls and women, not just young, actually from any age, about developments in tech programming. Yeah, we, we can go on with it. But Julie, welcome. How was your training today? Because uh, when you were scheduling, you said you had a training. So tell us, what's it like to teach girls from a young age, ranging from, you know, five, six to older individuals, older than you even I've seen in some of the classes. <laughs> yes. uh, well, we're actually in the phase of my training where my students will be graduating Friday. One of the groups, which is uh, the third edition of our InnoStarter group. In the InnoStarter, we teach introduction to embed building embedded systems. So programming, 3D designings, and by the end of the three to four months, our students can build an entire embedded system. So right now I'm scheduling the students in so they can finalize their projects and be ready for the graduation ceremony. Could you quickly elaborate what you mean with embedded system? What should someone imagine when they hear embedded system? Yes. <laughs> so we are teaching students how to build, let's say for example, right now, the theme is megatronics and robotics. So we're teaching them how to build mobile rovers. So driving rovers around the Arduino Uno microcontroller, so they can build a mini robot that drives and can function either over Bluetooth or, will or, or with self-invent code. And it could use a sensor to detect what's happening around it and just navigate on its own. And for example, they, they, that's the base for the rover and they can add an additional feature. So some students would make a dispenser on it. Some students made a following robot that would follow them when they walk. Some students would make a security kind of little bot that detects if somebody is near or not, etc. So they're just using their creativity to add on the base of the rovers. 
So I do want to that was a deep question. Like, is there a certain theme that you because there's a curriculum, of course, on based mm-hmm. on what you guys give them to learn. So, so where where does that? I wouldn't say necessarily say inspiration, but is there some some broader picture of like learning these skills? Why you learn certain skills at a certain point in time? And like to to give like somebody who has like no tech background and an idea mm-hmm. of where you start and, and, and in five years, 10 years time, where, what kind of things are you building with those skills? Okay. So yes, our, the base has always been to build internet of things solutions. And as we know, there's billions of internet things connected to the internet and our, the community, our, our sector in Suriname, it's very, it was very low level. Like the students were not developers yet. It takes time to develop their skills. So from the beginning, when I started, I obviously had no background in ICT as well. So I had to self learn a lot of things. So after graduating Fab Academy and been certified to become a maker and we got sponsored as well, I said, I want to give, I want this to teach students, young ladies in Suriname to do the same thing as I did, but. The Fab Academy was a five-month program, very intensive. And within five months, you have to build an entire Internet of Things prototype. So I know for sure these young women here would not have that skill. So from there, we derived the Inno Starter, which is a step down, you know, that, so they will cover all the introductory skills, stuff like electronic programming, the digital fab. And after they develop their skills to a certain level there, they can continue to the bootcamp where they can build the the prototype end to end. So it takes time to develop their skills. So we have to constantly break the curriculum down into smaller sections so that we can train them and make sure they complete it at the end. Yeah. So from my understanding, it's kind of getting to that level of to be able to, you know, compete or follow at the level of a FAB Academy. And for those listening in, uh, the FAB Academy or the, the FAB Lab Network, if I'm understanding it mm-hmm. correctly, it's like one of the world's, you know, uh, biggest organizations kind of uh, looking into developments on fabrication, internet of things, uh, robotics, yes. all those things yes. combined. Yes. Uh, and you yourself uh, have, I think it was a few years back, right? That you participated in that. Yes. In 2019, I graduated. Yes. What? So during that- what did you build? I, I, I'm just curious to know what, what was the end, end product? So I built the, an IoT for agriculture solution. So I, I built my own PCB board. I designed it from, from software, fabricated using the CNC machine, solar, the components program it. So I had multiple sensors and actuator nodes that can communicate to a centralized node over Wi-Fi. So no matter how big or small your farm is, you can scale up and automate your unmonitored, automate your farm and receive that data and automate, monitor and control, sorry, small, medium, or large scale farms. Okay. And, so and that was custom built, like. Custom. I built it uh, from scratch. I, the, everything was from scratch. <laughs> Basically it's like knowing when to water, yeah. to water the vegetables and those kind of things as well. Yeah. And control. Okay. Yeah. And, and with a complete and dashboard. Control. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 During your experience at the Fab Academy, building this uh, agriculture system that you could scale, we'll follow up on the other experience after that in a bit, but looking at that through a lens from where we're coming from here, uh, South America, was there anything in particular that opened your eyes? Like 
oh, this is a whole new world, uh, the possibilities. What was something that you saw during that experience at the Tap Academy? Like, that, like you were like, wow, this is something we got to do or kind of inspired you to do what you're doing now. It really was the, the thing that I learned the most is working together. You know, how, how important it is to work together to be able to reach higher grounds. Fab Academy is such a large community and everybody worked together in their own community to, to achieve a bigger goal. And that's the, the, the culture I kind of try to implement in what I actually do with my students here. If you work alone, you can reach to a certain level, but if you work together, we could reach different regions, expand locally, I mean, and even regional. And that's what we've been doing when we compete in the competitions as well. Is there a particular example that you could give us how the community within the academy kind of work together? Guys, I know there's, you know, you have 3D modelers, you have PCB builders, and you're kind of doing, touching on every aspect of it a bit, but there are specialists in every section. So could you give us an example maybe of that? Yeah, for example, while we were busy um, working in Fab Academy, we were collaborating with fellow Fabers in the Netherlands and in French Guiana, et cetera. And because of their help, we were able to graduate and all of us together because we were starting out, we were pioneering with Fab Academy in Suriname. It was the first time, you know, we were collaborating with Suriname and French Guiana. It wasn't just us alone. And we had limited resources or we didn't have all the machines and all the components. You know, we barely made it because we were at, at actually at the deadline of being able to even do Fab Academy. So with the help of our fellow um, Fabers from the Netherlands and also French Guiana, we were able to complete it and we're here today. Quickly shout out from French Guiana, as you were saying that Marlon saying uh, he's jumping in to say a big up and also a big up from uh, Rajiv saying that you're doing amazing, amazing work. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I just, just for, for people that, that don't understand, because I think we're still, a lot of people aren't aware of, 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 of these opportunities and that you could actually learn how, how programming works in Suriname. Like if there's somebody who's watching, who's like interested or wants to have their children pick up and learn programming, would you say there is a certain age? the group that that's fit for, for following these sessions, or are you saying like, no children can do it as well? And what can people expect? Because well, like myself, I want to jump in and I want to be able to build something, but there's a learning curve as well. So, yes. so where, where do you start? If you're interested, where do you start and how, at what point do you consider it being serious to spend more time on it? Okay. From my experience, I'm speaking from mentoring ladies and young girls and women in IT. ICT. I've mentored, I've, I've taught RoboKids, which is from six to 10 years old. And we taught them programming with Legos, drag and drop scratch. And that's where getting the kids just introduced them to coding and the whole logic behind putting things together, the logic together. But in my opinion, when you're getting to, into the serious programming, there is an age group. And for me, the age group is 14 plus. From piloting with kids that are a bit younger, it gets challenging if you want to do serious, make serious embedded systems. Because with programming, it, it, it requires math as well as iterating and practicing and troubleshooting. And, and a lot of students that think it's just for fun. So you're just playing with little robots and stuff. That's the misconception. It's not true. So you get really excited and think, I'm going to play with a robot and this thing is just going to work on it. So no, it, 
even though I teach these kids and it looks simple, the, the coding is actually pretty advanced. And the way I analyze my students, if I analyze that, oh, this student is not maybe determined, not determined, but um, curious as the other, I will keep the code not so, you know, advanced for them. I keep it on the surface level, but th those students that are curious, I want to continue, I want to do more. You can always go in depth with it, you know? Okay. Now, the embedded, <laughs> now yeah. I want to yeah. jump into a yeah. more, yeah. <laughs> a less serious question. What's the angriest, angriest you have gotten because your code wasn't working? The angriest, maybe not, I don't know if I got angry, but I, I just don't sleep. I, I, I would not sleep. And then I probably might get cranky because I won't give up. And that's the thing, you know, I will, I will stay and work until I probably crash until it works, you know, and I am, I'm happy. I have my mentor to assist me if I'm almost like, yeah, I'm ready to give up, but. Yeah, it get, it gets frustrating, but the, the 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 flip side to that is most of the time it works when you actually take that break and then you look at it again. So that's kind of like Yeah, you kind of need a fresh pair of eyes. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, a, but, a reset. Uh yeah. take a walk or something. Sometimes you're like, Oh, it's just something so simple. I just know it's something simple. <laughs> yeah, if if you're staring at a screen too long, you can't lose <laughs> yeah. a sense of what's going on. But coming yeah. back to that experience from the, the Fab Academy, and I want to zoom in particularly on how you've built the, the curriculum. Cause you, you said you, you saw the complexity from Fab Academy and like the, the level, the gap, the level gap that there was for new people here. So could you walk us through the process of how you went about kind of dumbing down or simplifying the curriculum and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces so people could get started and kind of what you've learned through that process. Yes. In Fab Academy was literally five months long. And by the end of that five months, you have to have covered knowing how to build an embedded system, designing your own PCB from scratch, programming it, do networking, learn how to work with all the machines in the labs, like the lasers, CNC, 3D printers, etc. within just five month period. So I stretched that curriculum for, for a year instead of five months. And I took it a bit slower. Like for example, I stressed more on the embedded with the students in the first two months. And then I made the program a little bit less intensive for when they have to work with the machines. Cause in Fab Academy, we have to figure everything out on our own. You have a, you have a, 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 a mentor. But most of it is you planning it out on your own. But now they have us who already had experience. So we make kind of like a program and kind of like mini manuals for them to also follow. And we are, and I also um, schedule more sessions for them to, to coach them in class and train them. So it's not that they have to figure everything out by themselves. So it's much easier for these students. Um, so this makes me wonder, does the challenge of figuring out it there's figuring it out yourself kind of enhance the learning experience or not? What, what, of course it, of course it What does. has been your observation but, 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 the, the groups you've been getting in? Oh, the groups that I've been getting in? Or the, the previous groups you mean? Yeah, kind of uh, uh, okay. comparing it from the curious yeah, types and from those. your personal experience of, to also your students. Yeah. Yes. For, okay. Well, I'm going to speak um, about the bootcamp students because it's on the same level as the Fab Academy. For me, of course, I love a challenge and I learn a lot more when I'm challenged and after I complete the task at hand. But yeah, I have to also understand that all my students are the same or like me. 
you know, you have to have a certain drive and a certain passion for IT or ICT or what you do before you can take up a certain level of challenge. So for the, some of my students, yes, there is a learning curve, but there's also a curve where they might get frustrated and hate the whole experience if you push them too hard. And I've had that too from my personal experience. So I have to constantly balance between each student of mine to know how I push them, how I, how they would receive the, the information and, and how would, you know, how they would act or how would they receive the, 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 tra the training material, I mean, in my program. I want them to have a good experience as well as receive the, um, the material I'm giving them. Yeah. So I have to ask you, and I'm jumping back in because for like, for, for outsiders, for non-techie people, I mean, the internet of things is just my phone can connect with my refrigerator and those kinds of things. <laughs> because when it comes to tech, like, especially internet of things, for most people like myself, we're going to connect it to something we're going to use, practically use at least on a daily or a, or a weekly basis. It's, it's very hard to process. When you're not a tech person, like how these solutions are for, for businesses and whether it's farming or like more technical things that are not related to, again, I'm from a communications perspective and is it easier for people to work on projects that are somehow like consumer related compared to, to like farming or more the technical side, or is that a myth? Okay. Yeah. So when you look at the, the things that the students are probably building, you you will probably be like, oh, we can just buy this for so much cheaper and it's already made, et cetera. But what you have to understand, the goal has always been to develop the ICT sector in Suriname. And if nobody tries to develop the sector, we will never get to the level in Suriname where we can actually fabricate for complete solutions and sell them or bring them to market. Somebody has to do that work, you know, and from where we began, where I, I didn't know anything about ICT to where I have so many students there at the level of 11 year old winning first base from a competition, like with PTC students and university students, I think we're making strides and also coming first and second place in an Caribbean competition from 20 islands. I mean, somebody has to do the work and I'm excited to see where we're headed, where we'll be in a few years because we're, we keep moving forward, you know. You're not going to wake up one day and be able to build a complete solution that you can spring it to market. No way. And not in our community. You have to build it before you can get there. So I yeah. think that's the, the point we have to make and the view we have to be looking at. Yeah. And especially for the women in the sector. I know there are, the, the man has dominated the ICT sector, but the woman has to get to that level as well. I somehow think that you're also thinking more of solutions that are valuable for everyone. Like yeah. it's, it's a little bit, yeah, but that's, that's maybe a, a misconception of mine, but it does feel like women in general, when they approach tech, they much more look from it from a solution for everyone kind of perspective. Yeah. And a lot of women, when they get involved in the sector, a lot of them want to learn to also teach their children. And, you know, for example, my oldest boot camper, she has a son that has dyslexia. So she built a solution that would help him read and write, you know, to, and, and she got traction for that. A lot of people wanted to buy her solution, but because we're not at that level, level yet where she can bring it to market, she, we will have to iterate with her a few more times before she can, but her solution was a very good one and, and qualified to, to be sold, you know, 
she could bring it to market. Yeah, yeah. you make a great point there that uh, we need to start building and kind of so we don't fall in the trap of only being consumers because it's already happening with so many things. And the tech space is ever evolving, ever kind of the the the, the physics of progress kind of the, depend on the heavily, I, I won't say heavily, but depend a lot on developments within the tech space. And if you look at problems, solutions are usually pretty simple to do. And when you look at what's at the market, they kind of come with complete systems. And then you look at the price tag that's associated with it to implement it. And then it doesn't fit or match the scale or the problem that you're trying to address in a rural, rural area uh, or on a farm, for example. So yes. from that perspective, I totally agree that having that base level of fundamental understanding on how to build these things is a necessity. And coming back to that uh, example you mentioned from your student that kind of built this uh, tool for her son, you said the, it, it wasn't ready yet for market. So if you look at the, the gap that needs to be filled from prototype to getting something like that to market, what are things that are still missing or that would need to be worked on or focused on in this next step. So we're working that right on, we're working on that right now, but Mr. Bulls, Mateo has a um, tech starter where students can enroll from the Kodads bootcamp into the tech starter to iterate more on iterate a few more times on their, their prototype and get the training, the business training and the last leap before they can bring it to market. For example, we have machines in the lab that can build prototypes, but they're not ready for production. So for example, you'll, if you have a design, you probably send it to China to be fabricated and send it back here, that type of thing. If you want to have a thousand pieces, you can't fabricate that in the IoT lab, for example. So that's what a factory or something, you know, we don't have that here. So that's the, the last. So, so, but, so, and then, then of course you get another kind of prisoner's dilemma to which direction you're going to go. You're going to say either like, we're going to do these niche, niche solutions that are maybe a little bit harder to afford, not necessarily necessary that you have to pay more for them, but they're a little bit harder to get, uh, or say like, yeah, but we still also want to have a solution that's like mass production. Like, how do you balance that when you have like, you have limited resources and you actually have to decide like, are we going to go a direction, which is a little bit niche, but then we have something that it's actually ready for the market or that you're like, no, but we're gonna, we, we need this solution in Suriname and we also need a bigger investment. Usually when, when students or when we're thinking about building solutions, we're not thinking about building a solution for America or, or we're thinking about building solution for the, our local market you know, from our community or, but from one of my experience, for example, when I was telling you guys about the, the IoT for agriculture solutions that I made, I got selected to go to the Pitch Acre Hack in Kigali, Rwanda. And I realized that my solution was multiple sensors and actuators to cover a large scale farm, etc. And I had no market for it here. But when I went to Africa, they had one sensor and one actuator, and they had a million customers for it. So I'm like, we can build solutions here and start focus on a market, maybe in Africa, you know, and of course, if we want to fabricate these things to get, like I said, again, a thousand pieces, if we're talking about it now, 
we're going to have to design the, the, the boards and stuff here and send it probably to a factory, maybe in China to, to produce them. If you would like to get them any pieces, because we are not there yet, but we would love to have a, a bigger lab here where we could produce these things, you know, on a, on a lot of standard instead of prototype phase, but yeah, everything takes time and we would love to get the investment to do so, but yeah, it's not one, two, three. And it's yeah. a work in progress. <laughs> I, I was about to see the next step is bringing the factories here. That's kind of what like, uh, kind of that's the cycle of how the, the development works. Kind of you, you build first in the, in your local area, you build and then outsource it and you slowly build the kind of the industry industrialized version of it to scale up and China is kind of now, I think they're also kind of starting to taper away from that stage and going more high end. And a lot of it is being outsourced to other regions like Vietnam, et cetera, as well for mass production, low cost. I think as a nation, we need to, or as an industry, we also need to look at, do we want to go that route to, to become a, you know, mass producer of certain types of boards or electronics, as you mentioned. Or do you want to specialize, as Jean-Luc mentioned, into sector development? I, I bring this up because the Netherlands, for example, uh, a lot of innovation actually comes from the Netherlands where they design these, you know, uh, these things and it gets outsourced to larger companies. And for a small nation as Suriname, I think that's also a possibility. So what's your take on your stance on that? Should we go the direction of, you know, kind of going through mass production or double down on designing innovative solutions, even if it's not for a local problem, but kind of offloading it to a country like Rwanda in Africa, as you mentioned before. I think we should be focusing on building innovative solutions. I mean, that's what we've always been doing. We have a lot of creativity and from what I've seen, a lot of these students have already built creative solutions for problems that we have locally. For example, the, in the last Hakatopia, a group of kids, 11, 15, 17 years, they won first place for building a res respirator for, for example, the girl, Shanika, she pitched up in case her grandma gets COVID and needs one. So they build a, a respirator. It's not fully automated. It's manual, but it would save lives. So it's for relevant problems and it's an innovation that would save lives. So, and yes, and the next step would be if you come up with an innovation that requires us to produce more of it. Yeah send it off to be manufactured. If we don't have the facility here, it would be a great to, to be able to manufacture it here uh, and do everything in our country. How far yeah. along are we? Like, like from, if you have to do like zero to a hundred percent, a hundred percent being, we are fully ready to send out prototypes to get them produced outside and bring them back and put them on the market. And that's a hundred percent. How far along are we in that process at the moment? We have already designed multiple boards that can already be shipped to produce and, and solutions could be ready in like a month or two. Uh, we are there, but it's about iterating and seeing do we have a market for it here or do we have to go regional to get more, more, reach more of the market or go to Africa, you know, it depends on, um. And, and how do you balance the funding? Because of course the, the ideal situation is 
you, you get the money to, to actually develop and research, but in reality, that's not always the case. Art comes, but in, in trenches, and then you have a certain time when you have to even go into your own pocket, some cases to develop something, unfortunately. So how, how much support has there been for these kind of projects in the world? Is, is there enough, are there enough opportunities? And how well aware of we are, are we of those opportunities for like international grants to, to kind of develop these solutions? Okay. I can't speak for in the world, but I can speak from my personal experience. So when I started, it was just passion and I did it out of my own pockets. I would sit in my brother's house down kitchen and make videos and editing it, even though it was terrible, just to send my message out and show young ladies that, Hey, get, get educated, um, get into tech, you know, don't be afraid and not inspire them. And, and I can say I've been very, maybe blessed is the word that there was a lot of people that saw my, uh, that believe in what I was doing and I've been funded since the beginning, you know, there's not one day that we had to struggle for funding. We were sponsored by the U S embassy, Cosmos energy now to low for two more years. So, because when you see the impact that what we're doing, we, that we have on the students, you know, from all ages, especially the women from 14 to all the way 50, you, you can see that, you know, it's not just that we're playing a game here. You know, they are being educated, their skills are being developed. Most of my students that are not even graduated yet, they get hired instantly. Most of my bootcamp students got hired before they graduated. So it's a huge impact on not just in the training, but also we mentor these students, not not only during the training program, but also after they, they are done, they come back and we mentor them to decide what they want to continue to do. If they want to get, um, pursue a tech career, if they want to join the other programs if they want to compete in competition. So it's an entire path that we, we, we guide them and mentor them in. Yeah. Speaking of the hiring that you mentioned, I want to know, like, how is the landscape at what kind of types of jobs are we looking at that these people, these who have completed the course get hired for? Because as we mentioned before, this space is kind of fairly new and yeah. I'm trying to match that with the, the, the skills and the job opportunities because I am not so familiar with that, at least from personal experience. Yeah. For example, some of my students, they got hired for being lab managers at the other, um, at labs and as web developers, you know, some of them work for us as well yeah, while we do projects like trainers as well, you know, so yeah. Do you want to jump into that because you mentioned web development. If we look at embedded systems versus web development, like what are some similarities and where are some actually major differences between the two? Yeah. In the InnoStarter, we teach them to build embedded systems, but in the Codet Bootcamp, we teach them how to build Internet of Things solutions, so web and embedded, communicating with each other. The difference is embedded is without the internet, so seed code in the controller itself. It doesn't need to be connected to the internet and, and with the web, I guess it's mobile and apps, websites, you know, dashboards, yeah. receiving the data from the system. The, the way I see it, the web interface is more like the, the consumer 
left yeah, right yeah, yeah. Uh, so i guess i'm speaking very technical <laughs> you, you need something friendly for yeah sometimes not, not. julie we have to break it down into smaller <laughs> well, sorry. it's I'm okay it's okay yeah. that. so that, that's why i'm repeating like from what i understand you, you the web interface is more like for the consumers like shanduk for example a friendly <laughs> interface that yeah. you can see like yeah. oh if i click this this goes uh, but you don't don't necessarily need the thorough understanding of how the how the circuits talk to each other to execute the the command for example and yeah. especially if you want to go to mass market adoption and finding a market to drop it off i think that part plays a very important role to polish at a later date because that's when you really really as you said need to iterate and see how people react to the different solution yeah yeah yeah, and iterating with your customers. There's one thing I really love about this, and, and I'm not sure, but it's from my perspective. I feel like the, the great thing about about these these solutions and, and this kind of technical developments is that you build something from scratch. And the, the first time that you realize that you coded something and because you coded and give, uh, gave a specific command and it actually works, I think that's one of the most underestimated feelings in the world. It's one of the best <laughs> feelings there is. So I, I'm really excited when you talk about like how many people are actually getting into this and that there are opportunities. And that actually, for me, one of the best things to hear is that these people get hired instantly, which again, puts like me on this, yeah, devil's advocate situation into saying like, aside from hiring, are there enough developers that end up actually going through to build something bigger? And it doesn't have to be that that person becomes an entrepreneur and starts a business out of that, of the, out of the skill set, but just saying like, okay, this is fun, but I want something to, I want to build something that drastically changes lives. Like for instance, the, the woman who who was looking for dyslexia solutions for, for her job. Uh, so your question is if there are enough. Yeah, so what are, so, so can you share, like, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if there are NDAs or things that, that we have to, to, <laughs> to make sure that they are still in, in progress. So you cannot openly speak about them, but are, what are like some solutions that, that we already have in Suriname that were built in Suriname that we're not aware that we're already on this level. Like I mentioned, we completed the first bootcamp and this is going to be the second one. And the inner starter, this is the third um, pilot. So the inner starter programs, they're building embedded systems. So very, they're, they're, the students are now getting involved. So they're, they're touching introduction level. So after that, they have to get in the bootcamp. If you're asking me if they're building solutions that are, I don't know, what, do you, what did you mention? Yeah, I, I'm really, what I'm wondering is, again, it's, it's more of a devil's advocate question saying yeah, like, yeah, they're starting, they're learning. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they reach a level that they're ready to like come up with a solution that we really need, like, even if it's just a simple automation, that's everybody's waiting for it, but it just doesn't come. But exactly at the point where they are, that they are actually capable of building that that thing from scratch, they get hired to a big company. Oh, okay. That's what you so I'm, well, I'm wondering like, are, is, is there enough opportunity for those that are really good to dive deeper into the tech instead of getting like a, a, a good corporate job where they're, where they can grow as well, 
but maybe it distracts them from actually bringing a solution to Suriname that we really need at the moment. And again, well, it's a definite advocate question. I'm yeah. not saying that that is the case. But obviously the end goal is to be able to develop all of these students skill to a certain level where they can just build solutions and we can, you know, label it as made in Sioux or developed in Suriname and it's ours. But uh, the truth, the honest truth is no, we're not, we haven't gotten there yet, but that's the end goal. And I've seen, I've been seeing from a lot of my students, the, the potential of being able to build solutions that are so creative and that come from Sioux. You know, and like I mentioned before, it takes time. You know, in the beginning, maybe we start experimenting with a certain technology where we would never think we'll be at the level where we are today. So I, like I said, I'm excited to see where we'll be in a few years because I do really believe that we can, and we will be making solutions that will be branded made in Suriname and original solutions and bringing it to market as well. Yeah. To follow up a bit on that. And I think to address the devil's advocate question, you asked Chanduk, I feel like that's going to become self-evident that you hit a wall, like a threshold that you see, like we, we can move further within the confines of the current environment. So then either something drastically will need to change that you go outside for a different experience like Julie did with the FAP Academy, get that exposure and finding a market in somewhere in Africa or Asia or drastically like change the current environment with new machines or et cetera. So I think that yeah. that wall is going to become self-evident at that point. But from what I'm feeling, at least the sentiment I'm getting is that the, the programs that Julie has done over the past two, three years kind of isn't at that stage yet that, uh, you would see those issues. But it's igniting the spark. And yeah, I definitely. think one of the things that Julie also mentioned is the creativity that we have will allow us to come with solutions. Like, like you just said, like here, you were already saying like, I want to have multiple inputs and then you go to Africa and you realize like, well, okay, all of a sudden I didn't realize that I was, I was kind that, of that ahead of the curve. Yeah. That, that perspective. Yeah. So, so I think, so I'm, I'm not saying that you're too modest or anything. I'm just, <laughs> uh, I just want to know, like, I think the example of the, of, of the dyslexia, the mother who wants to work on the dyslexia of a child, I think that's a really interesting case. I also brought it up because like Rajiv was just in the comments. And the game that he made, he made kind of this game for, for Instagram stories and Facebook stories, like these kind of things, we're often not aware that these things are possible. So I also kind of, the reason I'm asking the questions is also to kind of give people that are listening in, like the idea, like guys, something is happening here and we're just not aware of it yet. And yeah, I do agree with you. I do have to be a, more, a little bit more patient. <laughs> And for example, when we're speaking about creativity, when we did the Fab Academy, we did not have all the fancy machines and the resources like everybody else. So we had to be creative to use alternative resources. For example, we had to mill into wax to make 3D objects, et cetera, or inverse 3D objects. We didn't have to, we end up using soap, you know, these type of things. And in the end, we graduated even on a higher level than some of the fabrics around the world, even in Egypt, you know? And when we got to Egypt, they were like, oh, you guys were the ones who made the, the controller board, the PCB board. And we were following your documentation. We were like, oh, really us in Suriname, you know? So, and when we were using our CNC machines, it was not as good as they would have it in the Netherlands, but we were able to iterate and 
we had to work even harder, but we have the potential. We have the creativity. There are a lot of students that have the skills to, to, to make solutions, but we need the support and the resources. And yes, it's a funding to get to that level. And we have to start somewhere, you know. That's the yeah. Really I told cool. you. I told you if she was being modest. Yeah. Like if okay, other Egypt, countries are copying it from yeah. like from the documentation. <laughs> I didn't know about that, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Let's put it out there. But to quickly shift gear, so your organization is called Codex, right? And that has a certain vision and mission behind it. So I want to hear from you, like, what does it mean to be a Codex, or what? When would you say like one of your students? now is fully qualified to call herself a codet. Oh, yes. Well, I would say after they graduate the bootcamp, after completing the bootcamp, I would say they are a codet because they've, they've walked the entire um, path of completing the elements required to like graduate a fab academy. Because after completing the, the codet's bootcamp, they're actually on a level higher than the fab academy actually, because we go into the embedded systems and, and touch a lot of like building the, the websites and the dashboards, et cetera, those are not, not covered in the Fab Academy. So that's kind of like an extra training that we give the students and the business aspects of things as well. So after they graduate the bootcamp, I would say they would, they would qualify to be a codet. So would this not be a reverse opportunity for the codets, the graduated codets to offer like these transferable skills to the Fab Academy as another job opportunity to expand the impact. Yeah. I mean, after graduating the Codex Bootcamp, these students are qualified to participate in actually Fab Academy, but you need to be, you need to graduate from Fab Academy to be certified to work in the 50 labs around the world. But it's not like they would, they would be on a lower level of not being able to complete it. You know, they will have a very high chance of graduating Fab Academy on the first hit. Because the academy allows you to come back and finish if you're not done in time. But our students will be qualified to finish in one, one try. Do you have a number for us? How many people have successfully completed Fab Academy? Fab, Fab Academy was granted to us by the Ministry of Trade and Industry in 2019. And there were, oh, there were eight students and all, all of us graduated. Yes. So eight and certified Fab Academy. Yeah. Seven, sorry. Okay. Seven. And all of them are still in the field or? No, sadly to say no. One of them works in another lab and three of us are active. Okay. That's, that's still pretty cool. I think that I think, and, and what are the opportunities to, how often, how often could you have a, a Fab Academy to, to create more alumni? At the moment. Fab Academy is once a year, if I'm correct. Yes. Um, but Fab Academy is about 5,000 US dollars per student for five months. So because it was that expensive, I decided to make the training program and get funding to train the young ladies here without the cost. The bootcamp was free, you know, because I know for sure they would not be able to afford that. But now it's not free anymore. They have a, there's a commitment fee. Obviously it's not a lot. But the reason why I asked that is so that students commit till the end, because a lot of students, when it gets difficult, they might drop out and then it, it would be sad where someone else could have taken that position. So it's more on if they would see like students winning the competitions, they would be like, oh, I wish I stayed. So I'm like, commit with the fee. And then when you're done, you'll see that it was worth it, you know? Okay. And how many, how many people can actually register? 
Like how many slots do you have open? For the bootcamp, for the bootcamp, it's 12, 12 students. Reason why is because our locate our space is not as huge, you know, and also because of the pandemic, we cannot have that many students together. So what happens now because of the pandemic, instead of having one in-lab session, we have to have two, you know, and have a, a few sections online. So it's double. Yeah, you got to split it up. Yeah, yeah, more load. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I think we've, we've covered a lot from your journey on starting off and kind of the, 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 the grander mission that you're kind of uh, pioneering in this internet of things space, robotics space to develop a, a kind of new industry or yeah, new industry, but, uh, an industry that's often overlooked here. There's too much looking into the traditional farming or oil, but the untapped potential of the tech that can get coupled to that is an industry in itself. And I think uh, more people need to be exposed to those kind of opportunities as well and building up that ecosystem. So once we're, we're there, once we have enough codets, how, how would you call a male codet? Is it there, is, there isn't, there isn't, <laughs> we cannot be good at you. No, but the, the honest truth, the honest truth is the codets are only for young ladies, but then I, I got so many young gentlemen and gentlemen requesting to be part of the program that outweighed the girls. So I said for every InnoStarter, I will have two young gentlemen in the program. But then when the, the public sees that I have young gentlemen, they kind of like get angry that I don't know. So I didn't have a few, <laughs> but now I have to go back to my original thing. That's got a conversation. <laughs> so if, if there's any <laughs> gentleman out there hearing, maybe you need to take other reins and kind of collaborate <laughs> with Julie on that to develop that space together. Yeah. But go into the final section. Shanluk, I think it's time for some over-unders to close off the show. Yeah, definitely. So Julie, the way this is going to go, we're going to, I think uh, looking at the time, we can each do three. We're going to give you a topic, something very random or, you know, on point for you. And you just tell us if you think it's something overrated or it's underrated. And maybe you can even elaborate a bit on it. Got it? Okay. <laughs> So to kick things off, I know you've worked with this a lot. So from your perspective, is the business model canvas overrated or underrated? Underrated. For example, like I mentioned to you with our wildlife form, I wish we just had to fill out the business model canvas because everything is in there instead of this complicated form that, you know, requires so much, but doesn't oversee our business plan. So the business canvas is very important and I think it's underrated. Okay, nice. Well, there's a big hype going on because you don't no longer have to understand code or write code to build websites. So no code, overrated or underrated? Overrated. In my opinion, no code platforms is boxed in. If you want to make tweaks, especially for Internet of Things solution. A lot of the node code platform does not give you the opportunity to drag and drop your, your dashboards and make your apps for you. I like to be able to have the flexibility to edit my interface on my own so I can expand or change, make changes instead of someone else's preloaded drag and drop buttons. Yeah. yeah, too much. How do you say that? Too much lo excess load that doesn't necessarily need to be there in your opinion. Okay. Next one for me, vlogging. Overrated or underrated? This one's, I think, underrated. 
I think underrated because for me, when you're making a video, you're sending a message. It's about making it quick and personal, genuine and honest. So I think when you're vlogging, you can vlog everything instead of having to set up a whole professional setup to send a message. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly, but I think it's underrated. Because you, you, if I remember correctly, you yourself vlogged in the early days too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I tried, but I, it was so difficult because I didn't have the, the tools, you know, I just had my phone and I have done kitchen and a light, like the light from the bow material light, <laughs> but the message had to be sent, you know. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Shanluk. <laughs> okay. Might be a weird one, but Guyana overrated or underrated. Guyana is my home country where I was born. I can say I preferred Suriname than Guyana for the longest while, but I just went to Guyana like a week ago to get my passport renewed and the place looks amazing. So I think underrated at this moment. If you would have asked me just like two weeks ago, I would say overrated, <laughs> but I'll say underrated. <laughs> but that's a good sign that uh, sign. things are developing, changing uh, the things outlook. Are, things are, yeah, things are developing and I'm seeing a bright future for Guyana. It's just that the people that are poor are still pretty poor, even though the industry is developing and that's something probably might not change. I don't know, but the country in itself is, is getting developed. Let's see. Last one for me, Lego toys, Lego blocks, overrated or underrated? Overrated. <laughs> overrated. Overrated. Okay. Hey, that was, that was short. That was great. Should, should we talk? Um, <laughs> They would agree with me probably. <laughs> Why? Because I, I did Robo kits with Legos and it's after doing Legos, there's no way you can go into like the next stage until, unless you have to like really retrain the students, you know? So that's why we started the Arduino controller and you learn the core C programming language. So if you start with the controls instead of Lego, it would be much better. Lego is, you can't really use Lego if you want to scale. You know, with, with engineering. But, but fair. I think that's very fair. Last one for me, having a mentor. Oh, it's underrated. Having a mentor is so important, you know, because I feel like I, I had a really, really good mentor. That's why I'm able to achieve most of the things that I have here, that I do here. And I strive to be a mentor to all my students. And I see the need of it from all, you know, from all of them. And I think if all of us had a mentor that really cared about our best interests, we would have had a better guide to a brighter future. So to quickly add to that, how does one, or if someone's listening, how would one go about finding a suitable mentor? For example, getting into our training, our training program, we automatically mentor each of the students. They both want, we mentor them. And if I see like this student might need another mentor. I would probably reach out to someone that I know to continue to mentor them or guide them in that area that they're in. You know, they're stronger at mentoring them in that field. So that's from my opinion, how I would do it. Yeah. I don't know any other way <laughs> or anyone, how anyone else will do it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. How have you, how have you done? Do you have a mentor actually? Diego? Um, yes. No, you're, oh, you're, you're, oh, you're, yeah. Yeah. Diego, do you have? Yes, Diego. Yeah. So you have formal mentors and informal mentors. I think I have more informal mentors than someone to, you know, that I go in, 
go to particularly like this person is my mentor and we have a un understanding of a mentor-mentee relationship in that sense. Over the years, I have considered, you know, certain individuals for a specific uh, goal, a mentor, and I go to them for advice, etc. But it hasn't been that there's one or two specific people that I go to every time. So it's kind of more like a network of informal mentors than a singular mentor, if uh, that makes sense. So I, I quickly want to drop you if, if we still have a little bit of time. I do want to discuss this because I think, I think it's not, and Julie also said it like, it, it's still a bit underrated. And there are certain aspects of mentorship that people really don't understand that your mentor puts you in positions that yeah. you would normally not get into when you are on your own. And you don't value them at that point in time. But like afterwards you realize, wait a minute, due to that thing that happened three years ago, I'm actually in contact with this person doing this project. So I think that's one of the things that I do want to like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a fixed mentor for like 20 years, but actually having somebody that kind of, and just like Julie said, with the best intentions, I think that's very important as well. I think there's very much a benefit because I'm, for years, I was like, yeah, I don't need that. Or actually for years, I was searching for it, but I didn't know how to search for it. And then over the past, I think three, four years, I started getting these opportunities. And now I'm, I'm also, I like yourself. I'm much more of an informal mentor kind of situation. But now I'm actually formalizing my mentorship, my mentorships. Yeah, I did. If I may, if yes, I sir. may ask, do you guys men, do you guys have students that you mentor or, or apprentice? I'm a terrible mentor. So I have to clear that. <laughs> I'm a terrible, like I'm a great, I'm a great speaker. I'm a great trainer, but I'm a terrible coach. So the only have you had a bad experience? No, no, no. I'm just terrible at it. Like, like if if the person is not in my direct proximity, if this person is not in the, in my direct environment, I can't be a mentor for you. So if somebody sees me on the internet and they reach out to me and tell me like, "Hey, can you be my mentor?" My answer is like, "Sorry, no. It's nothing personal to you. I just don't have that personality." So within my company, yes. Mm. So if somebody works within my company. And I know that at least two or three times a week, we get together and I mentor them through stuff. Yes, that's something I can do. I can mentor interns. I can mentor like team members, those kind of things. But if it's somebody from the outside looking in, even if they're willing to pay me to mentor them, I'm not the right fit for that. And I'm very well aware of my shortcomings in that sense. So I just say like, I teach, I speak. And what I'm trying to do now is to make the commitment that I have a course where multiple people at the same time can get my, my attention and I can give my attention to them. And for that, I'm actually have taken on the mentor. So I've decided like last year, I need for me oh, for, to for be the able, course uh, for, specifically for me, for me, if I want to do a course and want to help people, I want to help 10,000 people make 10,000 US dollars. If I want to do that, it's better to get mentored by somebody who has already done that. And then that's why I reached yeah. out last year. And 
the, the thing that caught me off guard, the thing that really caught me off guard, and I'm not going to say who it is because most likely within the next year, he will be a guest on the show. But the thing that surprised me the most about him was that this is somebody who is, runs a, I'm not sure, eight-figure business, maybe even nine. And he spent a lot of time. I wasn't paying or purchasing anything from him. And he was just asking me questions and making me think. And after every question, I gave an answer and there were follow-up questions. And he was just really making me think. And he was doing, I mean, we're talking about at least an hour worth of Instagram DMs going back and forth without a single sales pitch. There at no time was a situation that I felt that I was overstepping my boundaries. I was asking him too much. He was actually the one asking me. And, and, and that kind of, yeah, I, that was special for me. And I wanted to understand like, how does somebody that has so much, so little time and so much to do in the day has over dozens of students uh, on online courses, how does that person just put aside everything and spend an hour chatting away with me on Instagram DMs. I, I was completely blown away by it. So if I can figure out how he did that and I can do that on my own, actually helping out people without ever having to give that sales pitch saying like, okay, but this is where the free stuff stops and now you have to pay me. If I can figure that one out, that's that that really is, is something that, that I want to learn. That, that'd be interesting to figure out, figure out. Yeah, definitely. I, I do want to preface, I, I do think there is a nuanced difference between a mentor and a coach, right? I think I have had this conversation a few years ago because yeah, coaching is like a, a, a more formalized re relationship for a specific skill or task to, to get better at that. And usually, uh, as you said, it, it is, it's more straightforward to, you know, pay someone for that and get to, to get better at it. But a mentee mentor relationship is kind of more off script. Of course you can formalize it, but usually from what I've seen, at least those happen organically if, if it kind of clicks and then I, I'm not sure how the formalizing goes, but you can maybe speak more on that. It's, it's kind of getting more intertwined because like of all the people that are in this space, like they're, they're like, I know at least 20 people that could help me set up a professional international online course, like people that I've met in San Diego for the past five to 10 years, there are like at least 20 people I could turn to and be like, I could pay them for them to coach me. But why do I take this specific person? It's because I also see the mentoring aspect. It's because aside from the coaching, there's actually a, a mentoring part as well. I think it's similar with somebody like Marvin Polak, which you all know. Marvin Polak is kind of the same thing. He's the impact coach, but he doesn't only coach. He also mentors like inadvertently. He just, he will go out of his way, out of his coaching. It, of course it's part of his coaching routine, but he will go out of his way to mentor people, even though he's a coach. So I think the lines have a kind of blurred, blurred. And I think that that matters. Like if you yeah. want to, if, if you want to, Coach is formal, like you said, like I pay you to coach me, but not all mentors are coaches, not all coaches are mentors, but there's definitely a, a gray area where those- Yeah, there's are. a nuance to it. Yeah. 
Uh, awesome. So, yeah, uh, you can even find the mentorship in books for some people. Yeah, to to kind of close off, you just gave us a clear, like a little little sneak peek into two programs that you run. If people are like interested, they want to learn the basics of coding, whether it's for web or they want to actually learn embedded systems. How can they reach out to you? We have registration opening on Codet's Facebook page. We also have Instagram and we have Twitter and they can just register. The op this registration form is open all year. So they register, they get put on a waiting list. And when it's time for the new cycle, they get called for interviews and the interviews are open for two weeks long. So you get called, you get interviewed and you get put on the waiting list to see where, if you're going to get selected or not. There's a probation period of two weeks as well, because all students that come to the program goes through a trial period to see if they're capable or if it's really for them and if they're determined and able to reach the requirements to be in the program. So check the Facebook page, uh, codex.org on Facebook. Awesome. You've heard it. Uh, don't be shy to, you know, uh, hit Julie up the codets and don't be intimidated by the two week probation period. Because if you don't try, you'll never know. And there's <laughs> lots of opportunities to learn. And even if you don't qualify for the first time, try again. And yes. you know, you, you never know. Sometimes it's just not the right time or wrong place. But that, with that being said, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on social convos. It's been a blast and especially to bring shine some more light in this particular space. More people need to hear about it. More people need to know about it. So thanks for doing that. And thank you for having me. We will keep a close eye on what developments you are doing. Definitely. Yes. With that being said, Shanduk, any last words to close us off? Julie, thank you so much for everybody tuning in or listening or viewing this podcast. Thank you for joining in as well. This was Social Confos. See you back next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye.